Welcome to the first Classic Rock podcast of 2019. And in today's show, we have the news, of course, a look at the more interesting stories that have created a ripple or two over the last month. Uh, We'll have the press review as well, a look into all of your favorite magazines and the main features of the month. And our main feature this month is all about a genre of music that throughout the years few have ever admitted to liking. Yet quietly, behind bedroom doors, in cars, on solo trips, in homes and flats, where wives and girlfriends and children are at for the evening, you'll find a cast of millions, a secret army, belting out the hits of Journey, Boston, Toto, Heart, Foreigner, to name just a few. It is, of course, AOR. Our classic interviews this month come from Polaroid's most famous employee, uh, the legendary Tom Schultz of Boston, and we will hear from Toto as well. And let's start with the mighty Toto, a band who have unjustly down the years been the butt of many a joke, but they have produced some of AOR's finest moments. Hold the line, anybody? One of my favourites. Now, take a poll on any street asking what are the three best-known AOR tracks of all time, or maybe even the most known, and Africa is almost certainly going to be on that list, probably uh, number one. Some call it the most infuriating piece of music that was ever written. But this song has a life all of its own. A solar-powered sound installation in the Namibian desert is playing the song on a perpetual loop. So somewhere in this world, not a second of the day goes by without Africa being played. And a man in Finland has created a bit of fame for himself. His name is Tony Patanen, and he's performed the song on a sweet potato and butternut squash. This has been viewed two million times on YouTube. And then, if you're still bored or you're still looking for ways that you can listen to Africa, there is always the video on YouTube again of the empty shopping centre with Africa playing in the background. So after all of this, should Toto be the greatest AOR band of all time? We will find out a bit later because Classic Rock magazine have listed their top 50 of all time. Where they come, you can find out in a little while. And meantime, because I know you really, really want me to, and you're sat there crossing your fingers, hoping that I do, here it is. In all its glory, all four minutes and 55 seconds of it, it is Africa by Toto. Some old forgotten words or ain't 
future.
We'll have more from Toto a little later on in the uh, classic interview section. Uh, time to look at some of the more interesting news. And rock stars these days rarely miss an opportunity to market an anniversary. So congratulations go to Ozzy Osbourne, who celebrates the 37th anniversary of the night he bit the head off of a live bat. It took place in Des Moines, Iowa, when a fan threw it up on stage. He picked it up, bit its head off. Before he realised it was real and it was alive. Now you can buy what's been described as Aussie plush bat with detachable head and it'll cost you uh, $40. Now Neil Sean has been trying to tempt Steve Perry to join him on his upcoming Journey Through Time show. Uh, he posted a tweet recently. It said, uh, here's an open invitation to Steve Perry. Come out on the 22nd or 23rd of February. We'd love to see you, Steve. Looks unlikely to happen. Remember his comments last October. You can still love somebody without wanting to work with them. So doubtful you'll see Steve Perry there. Uh, there's been a few farewells this month to get in. Ted McKenna recently has passed away. He drummed with the likes of Ian Gillen, Rory Gallagher, uh, the sensational Alex Harvey Band, and Michael Schenker of late. In fact, he was due to go out on tour over in the States with them. He uh, passed away after suffering complications following a recent surgery. Now, Reggie Young may not be known by too many of you, but he was part of a group of session musicians known as the Memphis Boys, and he played on many, many notable hits over the last 50 years, including for the likes of Elvis Presley on songs such as Suspicious Minds and In the Ghetto, as well as uh, teaming up with Bob Dylan, Paul Simon and Joe Cocker as well. Now, we often see and hear of plans hatched by rock stars to form supergroups. Uh, usually, these have been concocted during the course of marathon drinking or substance sessions. So, how about a collaboration between Freddie Mercury, Elton John and Rod Stewart? It was tentatively going to be called Nose, Teeth and Hair. Uh, for what are very obvious reasons. Rod Stewart was remembering this. It was uh, in his biography, his recent biography, and he uh, recalled the discussions taking place in Bel Air in the 1980s. And uh, the general idea, he said, was that we could appear dressed like uh, the Beverly Sisters. Somehow, though, uh, didn't gather much traction. Can't imagine why. Now, it is a few weeks ago, but for those of you who didn't see it, the New Year's Honours list contained many a famous musician. Nick Mason was awarded a CBE for services to music, and who would have thought that 12 months ago a collaboration with, among others, Gary Kemp in the uh, Saucerful of Secrets lineup would lead to extensive touring, great reviews, and the news that Roger Waters would join them for a few songs during the next tour. Not many of you. Now, just imagine, if you will, if we convene here at the same time next year and say, well, who'd have thought we'd get a Pink Floyd reunion? Uh, well, we were talking about those who'd passed in recent weeks. And uh, let's remember uh, Ray Sawyer, of course, of Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show, with whom he sang alongside Dennis Le Corriere back in the 1970s and early 80s before uh, Sawyer left. They had a string of hits, remember, including Sylvia's mother, before turning uh, a bit disco in the late 70s. And uh, in his obituary, it was remembered that Melody Maker referred to them as the most incompetent group 
in rock and roll history. That was at a time, of course, when uh, You're in Love with a Beautiful Woman was number one in the UK. And lastly, Dean Ford of Marmalade also passed away. He was aged uh, just 72, best known for the 1968 number one cover of the Beatles song Obladi Oblada. Uh, despite putting out their best album since the Black Album with Hardwired to Self-Destruct in a poll to find the best ever Metallica song, as in the case of many of these polls, the winners came from the band's very early output back in the 1980s. Master of Puppets took 10% of the vote to win and one from And Justice For All came in at number two and Fade to Black from Ride the Lightning came in at number three. So nothing from after 1988. Remember, they're out on a stadium tour around Europe this summer, beginning in May in Portugal and ending in Germany in August. Two dates in the UK at the Etihad Stadium in Manchester and Twickenham Stadium. A very amusing story which began with a tweet. Now, it was aimed at getting Stevie Nicks <laughs> to turn up and do a shift at McDonald's restaurant in Fleetwood. Get it? Fleetwood Max, yes. And then followed puns galore across uh, social media. To give you a taste, what about this song? A reworking of the 70s classic? Sell me fries, sell me sweet little fries. Fleetwood in Lancashire uh, does have other claims to fame as well. Actor Steve Hibbert came from there. Remember him? <laughs> of course you don't. How many of you remember Pulp Fiction? Now, remember the bit in the basement cellar? It involved uh, Bruce Willis walking in at exactly the right time. Remember Zed? Who's Zed? Said Willis's girlfriend as they got on the back of the motorbike. Zed's dead, baby. Well, Steve Hibbert was the gimp in Pulp Fiction, and he was born in Fleetwood. And did Stevie Nicks turn up? No, she didn't. Uh, Lou Graham, it seems, has said goodbye to touring. He announced on stage in New York just before the new year uh, that it would be his last performance. He said, I'm 68, I've enjoyed quite a few good years of success, but you've got to be smart enough to know when to walk away. I feel the time is right for me. A genuine rock legend, wasn't he, with Foreigner, who was present uh, from 77's Foreigner album through Double Vision, Head Games for Agent Provocateur, the absolute glory years. And uh, he also co-wrote two of their biggest ever songs, Waiting for a Girl Like You and That Record. You know the one, the one with the choir. I want to know what love is, which looks like your ordinary run-of-the-mill power ballad until that moment the choir kicked in and helped turn that song into a worldwide smash. It was number one in eight different countries and has gone on to sell billions and billions. And I just looked very quickly on YouTube to see how many plays that it had. It's over 120 million. Now, lots of exciting plans in the offing this year. Robert Plant, for one, is or has been hinting at a new album with the excellent Honey Drippers. What good news this is. Now, he pulled the band together after Led Zeppelin broke up. Now, I remember 
as a very young man back in the day, sneaking down to a club in Bristol known as the Granary. I think it was on a Thursday evening to see them and somewhere in the boxes of rubbish I've got around the place. I think I've still got the ticket from that night as well. Uh, and they performed, among other songs, Sea of Love. Now, they released Rocking at Midnight. Sea of Love was the B-side. But it was played the most, and it went on to reach number three in the USA. Now, that is Plant's highest ever chart placing. Uh, the rumours all started with a tweet that showed Robert Plant with Nile Rogers. So, could he bring back Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page and Paul Schaffer on the keyboards? If it did, oh, this would be a major arena show. Getting Page and Plant back on stage, that would be, well... Is it too much to ask? Probably. So, just to keep you amused, in the meantime, here it is. Sea of Love by Robert Plant and the Honey Drivers.
The Who will not be appearing at the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, but a new studio album is coming, as is a North American symphonic tour. Roger Daltrey said, listen, we're old men now, we've lost the looks, we've lost the glamour, and what we're left with is the music, and we'll present it in the freshest, most powerful way that we can. Keep your eyes out then for that. Martin Scorsese and Bob Dylan have teamed up for a documentary that charts Dylan's 75 tour, which saw him switch from the folk music to rock music. Uh, It's titled Rolling Thunder, and it's being produced in conjunction with Netflix, who've also got Motley Crue's The Dirt coming out this April, and the Dylan project should be completed by the end of the year. Now, Roger Waters is considering performing the wall somewhere along the USA-Mexico border in protest of Donald Trump's plans to erect a wall. Uh, Waters, remember, performed the wall back in July of 1990 in Berlin to celebrate the fall of the infamous Berlin Wall. Carl Palmer was talking in Billboard magazine this month. He is the only surviving member, of course, of Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And he's planning what he says is an A-list 50th anniversary celebration of Emerson, Lake and Palmer in 2020. And there could be a return to the Asia next summer. He and Jeff Dans have already had discussions. Let's move on then to the press reviews this month and we will start as we always do with uh, classic rock. They've got Greta Van Fleet front cover this month and uh, as ever it's stuffed full of uh, loads of great features. Bernie Torme is back now. You might remember him. He was the man who was part of the Gillen Band at its creative peak. So any chance of a reunion there? I love it, he said. I think we owe it to the fans. They all say that, don't they? Uh, But I've not spoken to Ian since 1993, but I gather he's still bitter about the way that Gillen ended, so no chance, really. Well, who knows? Don't think too many thought that Gillen would ever chat with Richie Blackmore again, but he did. With age comes a thawing of hostility, so you never know. Young Stevie Morse is in for a QA, and a albeit not a great q and I've got to say. But uh, has his hand anyway, the arthritis in particular. Well, he said, when I practice, it is no fun. Then at a gig, I take everything that is legal and the adrenaline simply gets you through. He was, remember, on epic form in that last tour. Such a shame to hear. Let's hope, though, that Deep Purple do get out for another tour and hopefully deliver us uh, one more album before they sign off. The last few have been absolutely superb. 2019, they say, is the year rock hits back. They list five bands to lead the charge, amongst them Joyous Wolf, Dorothy, uh, Station. Uh, I've only had time to listen to Station, but this uh, New York City rock and roll band, as they've been described, deserve a bit of your time. Some really good tracks on the album. Miles Kennedy offered up the soundtrack to his life. So, a couple of questions. Firstly... What's his favourite all-time live album? Answer, Live After Death from Iron Maiden. And the greatest of all time song, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. What a contrast there, Bruce Dickinson and Marvin Gaye. Only time you'll ever hear those two names in the same sentence. 
Chronicles, where there are features on Bebop Deluxe and one of my favourite bands of recent times, Rival Sons, who recently signed up with Atlantic Records. And if that isn't an endorsement of potential, uh, then I don't know what is. And if you've not heard Feral Roots do, it is outstanding. Just wish they'd actually do a proper tour over here in the UK. I saw them play support to Blackstone Cherry a few years about what a great night that was. Uh, and talking about feral roots and what it means, I was particularly struck actually by this summing up of what feral roots actually means to them and what they mean by it. We live, they say, in a technologically sophisticated global community, everybody clamoring for your attention. And the further you get into this Logan's Run world, the more attractive the jungle will seem to you. Feral roots is about keeping one hand on the mystic about keeping a link to the past as you move into the future. Well, it's taken the rival sons knocking on to a decade to get to where they are these days. And then there's Greta Van Fleet. They've played together since they were kids for years, but since sending a crowd wild playing as a support with Foo Fighters, they've gone from nowhere to everywhere in under two years. True, they've got signed by a major label who really have got behind them, and they've had that number three Billboard album, Anthem of the Peaceful Army, and it also charted at number 12 in the UK. Uh, add on to that 36 million streams of Highway Tune and another 150 million streams on Spotify. And you can see that this is a band that is clearly going places. Well, there is a sizable element, they said, who are against them. The main argument, they don't bring anything new and they sound too much like Led Zeppelin. Well, just hold on a damn minute there. So what? The fact that in 2019 that we've got a new band who are producing great music should be a cause for joy, especially in such a barren landscape. So to the haters and the dislikers, if you don't like it, simply don't listen. Turn it off. There's also two very good features, one on Motorhead and the other on Thunder. Now, the 50 best AOR albums of all time. And here is where then the arguments will commence. Uh, so firstly, AOR, what does it stand for? Well, I suppose it depends where you come from. Is it adult-orientated rock or album-orientated rock? So there's the first discussion. Uh, also, who should be in the list? Now, I've looked in some depth over the last uh, week or so into this, and I've seen lists which include the likes of Keir, Steph, Leopard, even ACDC as well in there, Super Tramp, to name another. Uh, now, these clearly aren't. But what about, say, Magnum? Now, that would have fitted the category for me, but they don't actually appear in this list either. So, who is in the list? Hold on, here it comes. So, number 50, Alexa by Alexa. 49, Eric Martin by Eric Martin. 48, The Storm by The Storm. 47, Cher by Cher. That's the one where she appeared, remember, on the flight deck of the American aircraft carrier, uh, wearing very little and saying, I've found someone. 
46 Drive She Said by Drive She Said 45 Lou Graham's Ready or Not great album that 44 Pat Benatar 7 The Hard Way a few of those coming up for her 43 Rescue You by Lynn Turner I thought I was the only person that ever bought a copy of that album and I've still got it uh, 42 is Night of the Crime by Icon at number 41 Asia by Asia really only at number 41 what an amazing album that was uh, 40 Aviator by Aviator 39 Midnight Madness by Night Ranger first of a few albums of theirs uh, Ty Keto Don't Come Easy at 38 Valentine Valentine 37 another great album at 36 it's Bad English by Bad English remember Neil Sean and Jonathan Kane of course along with the vocal prowess of John Waite at 35 Heart by Heart that was the album prior to Bad Animals at 34 so fired up by LaRue 33 is in for the cat by Balance 32 Unruly Child by Unruly Child at 31 Freedom at Point Zero Jefferson Starship the album with perhaps their greatest song it was Jane of course Grace Slick on the vocals uh, 30 When Seconds Cad by Survivor that was released back in what 86 87 Get Lucky by Loverboy with the track Working for the Weekend which was the big single hit of that album although when we say single hit as in most of the cases these weren't big single hits in the UK that was at 29 then at 28 uh, Fashion by Passion White Sister Last of the Runaways by Giant at number 27 uh, number 6 John Waits there again with no breaks Paradise Theatre by Styx at number 25 number 24 Agent Provocateur by Foreigner the album that gave us I Want to Know What Love Is and also that was yesterday but apart from that it was pretty thin on quality overall uh, 23 Native Sons uh, Strange Ways at number 22 was Third Stage by Boston an absolute work of AOR art it was from start to finish peerless in my view uh, 21 Out of the Silence by Dare Richard Marks Richard Marks is at 20 at 19 is Diving for Pearls by Diving for Pearls Eye of the Tiger Survivor is at 18 at number 17 Michael Bolton Michael Bolton at number 16 FM with Indiscreecy England or Great Britain or the UK did produce a good bit of AOR now and again Street Talk by Steve Perry at 15 New England by New England at 14 Toto by Toto at 13 Foreigner by Foreigner at 12 11 was Welcome to the Real World by Mr. Mr. The album that gave them a US number one with Broken Wings, remember, into the top ten. Here's where it goes a bit wrong for me, I'm afraid. Uh, number ten, High Infidelity by Ario Speedwagon, which spawned perhaps one of the greatest ever singles in the AOR category with Keep On Loving You and Take It On The Run was only just behind it. For me, that's got to be in the top five. Uh, Michael Bolton with Everybody's Crazy at number nine. Journeys Raised On Radio is at number eight. Uh, number seven, another cracking album. This was Night Ranger's Dawn Patrol. Uh, 1982, Toto Unleashed The Beast. It had Africa on it and it only makes number six. And so the top five, the greatest AOR albums of all time, according to Classic Rock, then it's this month. Frontiers by Journey at number five. Vital Signs by Survivor at number four.
Four, by foreigner, is at number three. At number two, and it should be number one, is Boston, by Boston. And number one is Journey's Escape. Yes, the one with Don't Stop Believing on it. But I, I would have an argument about that because for me, it would have to be Boston by Boston because that is literally where it all started and how it all began with a man so obsessive in his attention to detail who created a sound which is instantly recognisable and who quite literally would be classified in the musical genius category. Tom Schultz's debut album with Boston, it also sold more than Elton John's greatest hits, Saturday Night Fever, Physical Graffiti by Zeppelin, and indeed Journey's greatest hits. Uh, Tom was never one for having the utmost belief in his own extraordinary abilities. So, after producing this epic, what exactly were his expectations? I had taken a leave of absence to do the recording. When I finished the first Boston album, I went back to Polaroid. I had no expectations of success whatsoever. I, I actually expected total failure. I was praying that a local radio station would pick it up and play it. That's what I was hoping. The first show was at a high school. We were opening for a local band. There were 200 kids. Not one person applauded or even made a noise. The second one was 1500 seat club, which was big to me. It was a week after More Than a Feeling was released. The audience made so much noise, I couldn't even hear my own guitar. They wouldn't let us leave. We had to come back and play an encore. Didn't have an encore, so we played More Than a Feeling again. third show was at an outdoor festival. It started a riot. There were so many people showed up. They broke the fence down. The promoter was arrested. I mean, it was, it was great. <laughs> I was shocked when it started zooming up the billboard charts and giving top airplay at all these stations around the country and the world. album stopped at number three on the album charts but it stayed there forever eight months later I think it had already sold six or seven million um, albums and was still selling like crazy it uh, outsold every other debut album it was kind of mind-boggling the first time I heard more than a feeling on the radio was when somebody at Polaroid from the drafting department came running into my office and said more than feelings on the radio in the drafting department I dropped everything and I went running out back and I only caught the end fade out and that kept happening I don't think I actually caught more than a feeling on the radio for the first three weeks that it was out. People would call me up, oh, I just heard more than a feeling. Damn, I never get to hear that. We were called upon to be the opening act for a major tour. So I took another leave of absence, at which point, of course, my boss is saying, uh, don't you think you ought to quit? I thought, I better just take a leave of absence. I think I might be coming back here. I didn't really trust it. I thought, well, people seem to like it, but I'm not sure it's that great. We were then called upon to be the headline act at a major tour, and that's when I left Polaroid. A few years earlier, the boss in my department came in um, to talk to me. Uh, he said, look, I heard you're like making music. Are you thinking of leaving to play music? And I said, Ed, that's a one in a million shot. It, it, it never happens. And he said, okay, I just wanted to make sure. And then about 
three years later, I remember seeing him as I'm carrying my box of stuff and the elevator doors are closing and I'm leaving Polaroid. And I remember him running in front of the thing and grabbing the doors and says, one in a million? <laughs> well, somebody's gotta be the one. Well, one in a million he was, but remember too, it wouldn't have been possible without the vocal prowess of one of rock music's greatest and perhaps most sadly missed voices, that of Brad Delp. And then it's on to Toto. And despite having the most talked about song in AOR history, Africa, uh, they didn't make the top five. But these multi-skilled musicians have, over time, would with a veritable who's who of music royalty. So how about telling us just who they've worked with over the years? It's easier to say who we haven't. Yeah, it's a shorter list on who we haven't worked. With. You know, we used to get you know pissed on all the time. Why do people? Why do the critics hate Toto and all that stuff? We came out the same year the Sex Pistols did, so we're like the antithesis of that. You know, it's just odd. It's like we were closer to Steely Dan than Sex Pistols. Okay, you know, it was a ridiculous. Job. But you know, we, 40 years later, we laugh at all this stuff, and we can take it. You know. No. I, I wasn't even going there, but... No, but I'm just saying I get it out of the way, because people want to dance. take of the song in one to three takes. That's right. Never more than three takes. And, and we never rehearse. So we get a lot of real natural, you yeah. know, yeah. what do you call it, interplay. As soon as we got a take, I double my guitar part, Dave would start putting on the keyboard parts, Jeff would put on a tambourine. And by the end of the afternoon, we had what sounded like a record. And then the overdubs would go months. You know, we'd That's try right. millions of things. There's some lyrics, lyrics and synthesizers took months. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> company thought that hold the line was kind of a flash in the pan and they were going can you guys really do have another hit single and a hit album because we'd have a couple of low selling albums yeah. and so i said to myself i'm going to put everything that i have my body and spirit into this one song and if it doesn't i'm going to i'm going to hang it up and it was a do or die record for us of everything that we are and have ever been yeah. is the song Rosanna. Yeah. Everyone shines. Yeah. There's multiple vocals. It's a unique groove. Yeah. It was cut live. There's a lot of interplay. There's a lot of accidental things that happen on it that had we rehearsed it would have never happened. Yeah. And it was a magical song that he wrote. She 
is the subject of one of the top songs of the past year. We're talking Rosanna. Here she is, Rosanna Arquette. Hi. Hi. <laughs> now I guess everybody knows that Rosanna was actually written about you, right? Mm-hmm. By a member of the group of which your boyfriend is a member of. Yes. David Page wrote the song. Steve Picaro is my boyfriend. Yeah. What if you walked in the room with Steve Picaro into my kitchen, actually, where I was writing lyrics? and introduced and she was so cool i think and charming that everybody fell in love with her i know i did and just uh, borrowed her name for that but it was about a uh you know a, i had a high school crush that was pr mainly about but i don't need to get into it <laughs> you know, high school no crush. i understand crush, yeah. i understand that was steve Picaro's girlfriend Bizarre. that's right a little weird don't you think yeah I had been toying around with the idea of who's going to sing. Well, we every, always do that. Who's going to sing? Every time song? each person would get a chance to try and sing each of the songs to see who sounded best. I mean, sometimes it was obvious, you mean, you know? but it wasn't obvious. So he sounded really good on this section in this mm -hmm. key, but then I tried Bobby, but I had to switch keys. So I think somebody said, hey, why don't you try in both keys? And uh, I just modulated halfway through the verse. the band on this song and yet you hear everybody's personality well, it started out you know. showing the way we work together our ability like to playground. improvise on the spot if something's over rehearsed you just play parts okay. but when you're not when you're still discovering your parts and you can get that on record that's some of the most magical stuff that any of us have ever loved on a record is guys kind of accidentally playing something everybody's had like great moments on records like that where you just yeah. you screw around and something cool happened, like the end of Roseanne. That was like the yeah. really improvised. Solos, everything. This is one take. Your entire solo was improvised. When it was at the end yeah. of it, at the end of it, we were like, "Did you get that?" Hmm. All ended a bit abruptly there. Sorry about that, but uh, I think you get the drift with uh, Toto. It wasn't just Africa. There were some fantastic songs. And it's funny, isn't it? Rosanna was one of those songs a bit like Amanda by Boston that really did hook you in after one play. They sold millions over in the States. They were in the charts for months, top the charts. Yet over here in the UK, barely ever got any airplane. And the same was said for Journey and Don't Stop Believing as well, because uh, that when that was actually originally released, it certainly didn't chart over in these waters. Now, back to where we were with the press review. Goldmine. Now, this is a US music collector's magazine with some interesting content again this month. Tom Petty's front cover. And they have the Where Are They Now file. Always like that as a feature. Where are they now? And this month, they seek out Aldo Nova. Remember him from the 1980s. Inside, there is a chart of the top-selling records on eBay for December. Now, number one, Led Zeppelin 2. This sold for just short of $15,000. Reason being... Uh, the seller went to the Munich gig back in 1980 and got all of the band's autographs. This, remember, was the last tour for John Bonham before he passed away. Albums that changed my life. This month, Lee Child, best known as the man who penned The Adventures of Jack Reacher. So what's in his list? Well, there is Jefferson Airplane's wonderfully titled 
the surrealistic pillow, home of somebody to love and white rabbit. Iron butterflies in a gada de vida, Led Zeppelin, one dark side of the moon, creams wheels of fire, Jimi Hendrix, electric ladyland, all make his list. Now, Rod Argent and Colin Bluntstone are talking about the zombies induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Rod Argent uh, said he remembers well his first time when they visited the USA. It was back in Christmas of 1964-65. First gig, he said, was at the Brooklyn Fox in 1964. We were just 19 years of age playing with legends all around us, he said. Benny King, the Grifters, Patti LaBelle. Uh, New York, he said, was a tough place back then, but it was where every British musician dreamed of coming and making a success of themselves. And there's a a great tale, too, uh, about Elvis Presley. They'd done an interview in Memphis, and the DJ said, so, do you want to go around and see Elvis? And they said, well, you know, we've got got a few things on. You know, there's, uh, we need to do a bit of shopping and and whatever, and, you know, we need to get back to the hotel and do our hair. But, um, yeah, okay, why not? We've got a couple of minutes. Uh, So they walked up to his house. There's no security. So get this. This is 1964. No security at Elvis Presley's house. They walk up and knock at the front door. And his dad or his uncle answered and said, oh, he's not in at the moment. He's in Hawaii making a movie. But he loves you guys. And he'll be sorry he missed you. He knew who we were, he said. And that was enough for us. Uh, Plus, they've also got interviews with Mike Campbell and Beaumont Trench on the Tom Petty legacy and the recent box sets, American Treasure and the Best of Everything. A good edition of Record Collector this month as well, because front cover, it celebrates the 40th anniversary of The Clash's London Calling. There's an 18-page documentary of the album's conception from start to finish, and also a look at the tour of the USA, where the iconic front cover photograph was taken by Penny Smith. Uh, This was at the New York Palladium, on September the 21st, 1979, and as she tells it, it was Joe Strummer who picked it out of the hundreds of photographs she took in uh, classic of-our-time moments. It was picked out as he perused the shots in the back of the tour bus. That's the one, he said, to which Smith replies, you're mad, it's completely out of focus. He said, it doesn't matter. The rest, of course, is history. And that 1979 Pearl Harbor Tour, as they called it. Uh, They'd actually hired Waylon Jennings' tour bus, and the support act, a support act for The Clash, was none other than rock and roll legend Bo Diddley. Can you imagine? The Clash and Bo Diddley on the same bill. Staying on the punk theme, they, like everybody else, offer tributes to the late Pete Shelley of the Buzzcocks, who passed away last month. Live reviews give a very high praise indeed to King Crimson, as schizoid as ever, they say. Now, Marianne Faithful, who's recently released a new album, gives the soundtrack of her life. And in its ten offerings, including Let It Bleed, whose live as leads, to which she offers this critique. It's hard, very hard, she said, to make a live album of this is stupendous. Nobody has ever touched it. The Who were the greatest live band ever. 
Prog has got Steve Hackett front cover. He's talking Genesis and selling England by the pound. Quite ironic, that really, isn't it? And William Shatner. Yes, him. Captain Kirk. Steve Hillage is getting the band back together. Uh, he's doing three UK shows. The first in over 40 years on from his last full UK tour. What can we expect? Well, to quote the man, I'll put together a stonking set of songs. And so, to William Shatner. Yes. Captain Kirk, as we've said, you've got to say the first thing is he looks in unbelievable condition for 87 years of age. He released a Christmas record, which includes a guest list that includes Iggy Pop, Billy Gibbons, Henry Rollins, Ian Anderson, uh, Rick Wakeman as well. I mean, it is a long, long list. And it has perhaps the greatest name of any Christmas album ever. It's called Shatner Claus. And in a very tongue-in-cheek interview, he's asked, what would you have got Spock for Christmas? A Tribble, he said. Now, I'm not a Trekkie. I am not a Star Trek aficionado. But I do remember that they were furry, small things that made a bit of a noise. And so to Steve Hackett, who's about to release his 26th album and head out on the road, as Genesis Revisited, he talks about the great influence that his father had on him in the very early days. His earliest musical memories, which include his love of the math organ, and that was at the age of two. Uh, his repertoire, age five, included the theme tune to Dixon of Doc Green, and things really took off when he started winning bets, he said, by taking money off people playing the national anthem through his nose. Planet Rock have also got a new edition of their very good magazine out as well this January, and they kick off with a Rolling Stones front cover. Inside, Alice Cooper, who hosts the rather excellent Alice Cooper show most evenings on Planet Rock, chats about his great friend Peter Sellers, who was a regular, he said, at all of his shows, and he used to call me Inspector Maurice Escargot. Uh, and he used to ring me, he said. I'd say, Esgargo, it's Clouseau. I'm on a case. I'll pick you up at 7.13. I'd say, 7.13? He'd say, yes, I don't have a minute to lose. Uh, he then came and he used to take them off to this restaurant where more high jinks would occur. And you can only imagine uh, the poor maitre d' when uh, Cooper and Sellers rocked up. A great story, that. Uh, what else? Well, there's Vivian Campbell on Dio. There's Danny Bowes. And then to Mick Jagger talking about Sticky Fingers, uh, which was the first album to feature the lips and tongue logo. It was actually designed by a third-year student at the Royal College of Art. Uh, where did it come from? Well, Jagger allegedly went into a corner shop, which was run by an Indian gentleman who had a calendar, a picture of the Hindu goddess Kali, who is said to liberate souls. And uh, she had this disembodied tongue. And he said uh, he said to this guy, uh, I want you to do a modernized version, which he did. And he came back with the lips and tongue logo. And he was paid for producing this logo 50 quid. I wonder if they ever went back and just said, listen, <laughs> we feel embarrassed as well. Here's a million. Uh, and then there was that album cover. People actually thought that it was Mick Jagger on the front. So is it? Well, straight from the lips of the man himself, no, it's not me. And his favourite songs, Mick Jagger's on the album, uh, Brown Sugar. 
and Moonlight Mile. Loads more features in this uh, issue's run. They're in generous mood too with the reviews. Rivals, Sons, Inglorious, uh, The Ultra Fabulous, Cats in Space, Thunder, Heart, among others, who are all getting the four-star reviews this month. And that, I'm afraid, just about wraps things up for this month. Hope you've enjoyed the show. And uh, if you'd like to get in touch, you can do on all the usual channels, Twitter and Facebook. And remember, you can catch up with all the previous episodes of the Classic Rock Podcast and the usual channels, Spotify, iTunes, etc. And if you're listening on the Anchor Podcast app, then you can actually leave voice messages as well. So that's it from me, Tim Cable. Until next month, have a great month. Bye-bye for now.